We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome to Light Years Radio on the Green Room app. Sitting in for Andy Lou, sitting in for the birthday boy, Andy Lou. I have Aaron Larsoul. Aaron, how you doing, man? Uh, better than I deserve. But are we sure it's it's birthday and not? Uh, a, I am a hundred percent. I am a hundred percent positive. Andy is taking a well-earned trip to parts unknown. I'm not going to blow up yeah. his spot, right, but he'll right. be gone for the next week enjoying the crossover to 30. He can no longer claim being in his 20s anymore. Now we have to hold him accountable for acting like a 21-year-old. Wow. It's, I mean, look, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a better life once you cross 30. I, I got another decade in the books past that. Better <laughs> life once you cross 30. Yeah, so, so Andy will be off this week. Um, I, I'll keep potting through it, as I always do. But I want to start today. So. Uh, God bless Draymond and KD. They keep us rife with content. And so we're going to start here. By now, everyone's heard the clip. Uh, the main part was Draymond discussing the Warriors-Clippers blow-up in 2018, where Draymond went off on KD, and then the Warriors ended up suspending Draymond Green for a game. I think we all remember it. It started the hysteria of will Kevin Durant leave? And Draymond had some choice words where he said, Bob and Steve fucked it up. You know, he said, I told them right then and there. I said, y'all about to fuck this up. I said, the only person that can make this right is me and KD. So Aaron, I want to start with you here. Scale of one to 10, how much are you even buying this interview as truthful as opposed to just posturing to make some good content? I mean, I think it's probably more the latter than the former, Um, but we kind of knew all of this stuff anyway. It is good content, and both of them were seemingly open. Draymond is a really good interviewer. KD seemed to be kind of engaging, but like, didn't we kind of know that they really... Shout out the Oakland A's hat, KD. That's my favorite Always. Kevin Durant. Well, like, well, my favorite Kevin Durant's the one who doesn't miss shots in basketball games. But my second favorite, KD, is the Oakland A's hat, KD. But di- didn't we, anyway, we kind of already know that they didn't really mess with, with, with Bob and Steve like that? And didn't we kind of already know that the two of them had, had made up and were cool? We saw them at the Olympics, obviously. So, by the I way, at the Olympics was- with... At the Olympics with Steve Kerr, who was more or less the coach who was responsible for warming them up every game. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's actually a good point. That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's player development, Steve. Huh? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was just mostly kind of content creation. And, and again, I enjoyed the interview, but I didn't think there was too much uh, like groundbreaking or noteworthy. I mean, they were still damn good on the. I actually looked this up when when you and I were talking earlier about me coming on. I looked it up earlier, and as far as two man groups, uh, KD and Dre were the third best two man group the Warriors had that year, behind KD and Steph and Dre and Steph. So, like, I, I think they made up on the court. They still would have gotten where they wanted to go 
had uh, had had KD and then Clay not gotten injured, they would have won the title. So I think it's kind of much ado about nothing, to be honest. Yeah, I'm like torn because on the one hand, I think it's hilarious because this is like the 15th tell-all interview about KD's Warriors exit where we talk about this. And I'm just like, nothing new ever comes out of it. And by now, I feel like everyone should know kind of like, I just don't think, I I think Kevin was done. I think he was ready for a new challenge. I think he was kind of like tired of just kind of always being seen as the guy who leached, latched onto a team who'd always been there and like was probably bored of it. Like none of this matters. I think, I think he was gone no matter what, basically. So I tend to agree with that with one caveat. I don't want to, I mean, like how much of it was Andy, how much of it was Ethan, how much of it was he was sick of, uh, of Kerr, how much of it was he didn't feel the love he thought he was going to feel because it's Steph's team and, and Steph has surpassed, uh, Joe Montana as the barrier athlete of all time. I, I tend to think he was gone anyway. Um, all of those factors, because I think. I'm not going to psychoanalyze the brother, but like KD has always seemed to me kind of just like a, a wandering spirit and a guy sure. that is always kind of searching for that next thing. And he said in that interview with Dre that he is not really interested in talking about happiness as a whole, that he's always kind of trying to be in the moment and trying to have joy in the moment, <laughs> joy in buckets. He's trying to have joy in the moment as opposed to kind of being happy long-term. So I, I, it seems to me like, he just kind of wanted a new challenge. Maybe there was some of that other stuff, the argument with Dre and the Steph stuff and the Andy stuff and the Ethan stuff and the Kerr stuff. All of that may have been the final nail. But like there was a reason Dre was saying that stuff to him earlier in this early in the season because they well, all thought KD was gone anyway. Yeah, and like I feel like Draymond saying it to him was just everyone's kind of like anxious, wondering what he's gonna do, and Draymond is the dude. Who's going to say it? You know what I'm saying? He's good. The dude who's going to say what no one else will say, no matter what. I think he was always going to end up in that way. Like he, he just wasn't going to sign up to be running it back with the same Warriors team with Steve Kerr coaching it into eternity. I think he just wanted a new challenge. And, you know, maybe, maybe that challenge would have come if the Warriors had shook it up and like traded Draymond or Clay Thompson and made a decision that they wanted a new team or something like that. Or maybe he needed to go out somewhere else and get it. But I just think it was it was always going to be that type of situation where it's like he, he wasn't signing up to be the, you know, like the add-on piece to a team that already built something for the long term. All right, I'm going to bring Sean up here real quick as Aaron reloads his app. Sean, what's going on, my man? Hey, man. So, uh... I got a couple takes here. Um, Let's get them off. So, <laughs> I work for Bleach Report. I, I, I helped to like produce like this show, and um, I thought that the interview was really compelling. The one answer that I I did not like uh, from KD was when Draymond basically straight up asked him like, after year two, you basically came back for the three peat, and then KD went off on some like very bizarre tangent about how he was like really locked in and how he was like just like owning his craft i thought that that was just like i this just did not register with me um and i feel like if the team like wanted to speak candidly like players like steph or clay they would just not agree with that um i you just can't tell me that kd was like locked in happy like to like just focus on his role in year three. It was clear that he was miserable in my eyes. And then the the second and last take I got for you is uh, I just love Stephen Clay so much. And after like, I, I mean, Draymond's an all-time Warriors legend. We love the guy. He's given us so much. But like Stephen Clay, they're just like such um, – like they just lead by example and they just they just do so much for the team that – they, they would never do an interview like this. And uh, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. But um, I think the truth is in the middle. I feel like, you know, Kerr and Myers for sure, like, you know, botched, you know, some of it. But I think like the fact that like, you know, Draymond and KD really didn't take any ownership of the whole debacle. Right. It's kind of like silly to me. 
Absolutely, Sean. I appreciate you coming on. And by the way, thank you for helping produce it because it was compelling content. Um, I don't know. I just always feel like there's probably a level of guardedness with Draymond and KD in these sort of interviews. Like you're never going to get 100% the truth of how they feel because they have an image to hold up in those situations. So we can, we can, we can argue over what was truthful and what wasn't, but like end of the day, it was pretty fun to watch. It was pretty compelling. Aaron, you back? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I, it was. I mean, look, Dre can do whatever he wants uh, in media or any other realm. I mean, he's after, he's after all who? he's all time gifted at media. That's that's the thing that always stands out. There's like he's yeah, just you know so is? naturally good at this. He can do the Barkley stuff where he can be funny and he can poke fun at people and he can kind of be a clown um, and be like a huge personality bigger bigger than life. But he also is so smart breaking down the game and can break down the game and present it in a way that that appeals to people, too. And I don't know if there's anybody else that can kind of combine both both worlds like that. Um, The one caveat I was going to say about KD leaving um, and I think uh, it was Sean, I think it was just on, was kind of maybe referring to it. I, I picked him back up mid-call. But I think the one caveat possibly was, had the Warriors won the three-peat, um, and, and KD and, and, and Dre talked about this in the interview, that that would have meant something because they were chasing history. And KD was talking about right. how few people have done it. Now, if if you win three... It's going to be pretty difficult. I'm not saying he wouldn't have done it because, as I said, you know, he he seems to me like kind of just a wandering spirit. But I do, I do agree. Three, like nobody's won four basically since black people were allowed to play in the NBA. So, <laughs> like, if, if, I, if I do agree with history, you. I, I guess I I totally four for, maybe. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that just because like I'd already like pre-written the ending being the ending the way it was with Toronto and the injuries. But like, you're right. If they roll th- if those injuries never happen and they beat toronto and they three-peat and they three-peat relatively comfortably does he walk or does he take the shot at staying and doing something that like you said no one's done since the bill russell bob Cousy. yeah it was like Celtics. 59 i think it was 59 60 was the start of the celtics eight peat. right in an 18 and it's league. the only one yeah, and it's the, yes. only, it's the only time anybody's won more than three. So, so the, the I, I, ju- I do that, tend to, I do tend to agree with you. It's really hard to walk away from that. It just is. I, and maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does. But like, uh, even if you want to go back to like the Shaq Kobe Lakers, like that was legitimate hatred. That was legitimate animosity. It still took. It, you know, losing in the finals to finally break it up. Like every year they wanted to kill each other. And then if it ends in a ring, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in my summer and I'll see you next year and I'm going to pretend I don't hit you. Right. So, save, for, save for Kawhi, who had no, uh, no ability right. to choose his team, right? He was traded to, but I think it's tough but, to walk away from a chip. But I think KD, KD specifically has a, um, Level of reverence for basketball history that I'm not Precise, sure yeah, Kawhi does. No, I, so. I think that's it exactly. I, I, which is why I think the the decision may have been difficult for him. But I mean, like, we all have. Sorry if there's any ladies in here, but we all have that buddy, right? Like that. Well, actually, it might be me, but we all have that buddy that like kind of always yourself. is always like looking for the next. Right? You, you have one girl, you're always looking for the next girl, right? We sure. all have that buddy that is like never seen, even if it seems like he's got something good at home. It's always like looking for the next thing, looking for the next thing, looking for the next thing, um, and never seems to settle down. That's the kind of vibes I get from KD. I can see that. Um, and maybe he'll get it. I, I feel like he, uh, more than anything, I, th- I think he's far more driven to prove people wrong than he gets credit for. Like uh, the, the whole MJ, Kobe, Mamba mentality thing, like we don't necessarily associate it with KD the way that we should, but I think he's absolutely, I mean, anyone who's that good has like the psychopath streak in them when it comes right. to basketball, you know, right. like just because and when like it comes stuff, to anything, by the way. Yeah, it's true. Like just a very competitive psycho nature. So I, I think Kevin often gets like, uh, you know, people just assume because he's like, he doesn't always speak or before it was always like, Oh, he's too nice. And that stuff. Like he doesn't have that in him, but I, th- I think he does. And I, th- well, actually, 
I feel very confident he does. And I think it's just one of those things where he's kind of misunderstood in some ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, and he said this with Dre, like part, like a small reason, I think most of the reason for coming to the Warriors was were basketball reasons and kind of how he fit into this great team. And, you know, it, he thought it might be basketball nirvana. And uh, look, he was on the court. He was probably right. Um, I think the Warriors, with the apologies to some of those Bulls teams and possibly the 01 Lakers, I think those Warriors with KD are the best team that this world has ever seen. I would, I'd take, I'd take 17 Golden State against anyone. So, uh, yeah. so I, so I agree with you. Um, but he mentioned that another small part of it, and Dre kind of pushed him on it, that another small part of it was he was developing into a guy that wanted to be able to tell everybody to fuck off. Um, and he hadn't been that guy in OKC. He was kind of seen as the nice kid and wore the backpack and all that. Um, I still think a lot of that is still in KD, but I think part of it was he wanted to go against the grain. He wanted to do something that would make him the villain because he hadn't experienced that yet. Yeah, maybe. Um, now, to, I want to pivot this in a different direction. To me, what was interesting was the response to it. I kind of thought people were just going to like take it for what it is because to me, it wasn't new. Like, it's not like the response to the interview. Yeah. It's not like KD hasn't done interviews. It's not like Draymond hasn't done interviews. It's not like Steve Kerr hasn't done books and podcast interviews. Um, It's not like this is, it's not like this has been a Kobe Shaq thing where like they wouldn't talk about it for like a decade. Like there was a lot of openness in talking about it. Whether you believe what people say is a different issue, but it's not like KD did the whole thing where he's like, I'm not going to talk about Golden State. And like the Warriors did the whole thing with like, we're happy for Kevin, but we're not talking about it. They're all like, they're all always willing to get into that conversation. So I was surprised people freaked out at the response over it. And my question for you, this is, do you think there's a little bit of a double standard? Because I swear to God, Steve Kerr did like eight podcasts last year talking about how unhappy he was coaching that team and like all sorts of anecdotes, which like, I don't know, basically he implied like he was miserable coaching Kevin Durant the last year and all that sort of stuff. But then when KD and Draymond basically say like, they think management tried to do too much and overdo the situation uh all of a sudden you get all this noise that like oh what how dare they say that about kerr and how dare they say that about bob so yes i think there is a double standard but we can even take the like societal socioeconomic racial parts out of it right obviously i would guess that plays a role i wouldn't guess that plays a role but i think even if you take that out of it Steve Kerr has crafted an image of Kumbaya Kerr, right? Like, and, and maybe it's real. I don't know. I don't know him particularly well. Maybe that's the truest him. Fine. Right. But Dre, Dre and KD for different reasons are both seen as villains. They are both. And, and to be fair, they both play it up. I think they enjoy some of it and they both. I mean, up. I mean, Draymond is happiest as the villain. Right. And KD, <laughs> and as I just said, like KD wanted one of the reasons, maybe a small reason, but one of the reasons he came to Golden State was to tell everybody, fuck you. Um, sure. So I think that is another aspect of it. But I do think there is probably a racial and socioeconomic and ageist uh, uh, part of it too yeah. that people don't like to talk about, but um, that, that plays into it too. And I, and I worry about this with the Warriors on some level, um, not like a serious worry, but like it, it really is like old school versus new school. The old school mentality was like top down. Owner tells the GM what to do. GM tells the coach. Coach tells the players. And you never talk back to your superior, right? Like that's like the most old school way. And like you, you can extract that to any business. New school, which is like, a lot of the NBA now, and, you know, we can credit LeBron to it with player empowerment and everything. It's like the, the polite way to say is like, it's a more collaborative environment between your players and your coach, because there's the understanding that, you know, Steve's an excellent coach, but he's a little more replaceable than Kevin Durant. And that's no disrespect to him. That's just right. kind of the reality of the situation. It's like well, Steph Curry is far less replaceable than any coach on earth. And that leads to like 
the changing power structure, which is like the coach can't always just, you have to, you have to be able to get through to your guys in a way that's not like some like knockoff Bobby Knight impression. And I think part of the reaction is like a lot of fans view sports through the lens of when they were kids and they played and that was the structure. But when you played, you weren't Kevin Durant, you know? Right. And so that's like the thing. It's like sports. How many industries do the employees make more than their boss? Like none, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some sales guys that do, but like none, basically. It's sports. And the the juxtaposition of all of these guys, well, not all anymore, but 95% of these guys going to college and they are kind of at the mercy of the coach, right? The coach can pull their scholarship. The coach is getting paid five or six or seven or $10 million in football, you know, Nick Saban or whatever. And they can pull, they control the playing time. And so you kind of have to fall in line. They, they control, they control your future earnings exactly. because they can bench you. Yeah, exactly. Now I've heard some guys refer to it as kind of like a plantation kind of thing, but um, yeah. So then, the, and then uh, you come to the NBA and that power flips because frankly, like Steve Kerr can go, you like quite literally, me and you or anybody in this room could coach the 17 Warriors quite literally, and they're going to win the title, right? If nobody gets hurt, they're going to win the title, period, because the talent is that overwhelming. So, of course, Steve Kerr is replaceable. But it brings, like, you were, you were saying, like, is this much about do about nothing, and does it actually mean anything to the Warriors? I think the only way it actually means anything to the Warriors or harms the Warriors, and it, and it dovetails with the Steve Kerr replaceable question, is if... Steve and Bob, and I don't think it's Lakeup. I think Lakeup comes out pretty clean in this. Um, but sure. if, it's, if Steve and Bob are seen as guys that, or they get a reputation of guys that stars don't want to play for, I think that could be harming to the Warriors. I don't sure. know that that's the case. But, you know, it's, it's KD and Steve have seemed to have some kind of back and forth a little bit, um, which then brings up the question, like how who goes to bat for Steve if that is the case and and the Warriors do decide to make a change? I will do you think I, do you think Steph and like Clay and Dre and you know Iggy whatever go to bat for Steve like they did for Mark Jackson even though it didn't work? One, I think they do. Two, I actually think Steve and Bob come out looking great right now because the simple fact that they are cool with Draymond talking. I think sends a message that like just because they like to do things a certain way doesn't mean that there's like some sort of like hierarchical system that like, you know, it's uh, like, like you're playing for, you know, like Bobby Knight on like 1981 Indiana or something. So in some ways I think Draymond, that, Nor- that Norman Dale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think in some ways Draymond does him a favor because like, Steve's stubborn. All head coaches are stubborn, right? Like you have to have some sort of principles you believe in and like that sort of stuff. But like the simple fact is just because he wants things done a certain way, like he's displayed time and time again with the rope he gives Draymond that like, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, he's not nearly as stubborn as you think. Sure. And I I think that like that clearly matters and him and him and Dre go at each other and then like, Five minutes later, that's just the relationship it blows yeah. over. So I, they both so kind of get I, I off on all it of on that some level. <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think all of that is fine. Again, I think the only way this could potentially, and I don't know this to be the case, but put, could potentially harm the Warriors is if he and Bob get a reputation. You know that like it's not a place for stars, and stars don't want to be there. You're, you're talking so, about like the the Boston Celtics reputation, so. That's always been, that's like always in the back of my mind as a fear, but like, there's just too many, there's too many examples. That's not the case. Like it's easy to be afraid that they're going to get the refuge. Like Boston, the Isaiah Thomas move was the correct basketball move, but I wonder if they would have done that over because of the reputation it gave them. It gave Danny Ainge, it gave that whole front office to the rest of the league. Like, plays injured they and then they ship him out and kind of his career is done and they look cold-hearted and on top of it like there's like five other players you constantly hear they're constantly shopping and treating as assets right like the whole asset thing is cool until you 
make it your reputation and players start being like, uh, they, they just think of me as a number and they would trade me for another person the minute they could. I don't think the Warriors are there yet, but there's always like signs that make you like a little worried. So, yeah, again, I think that's fair. And, and again, I'm not suggesting that that is the case. I would, it is just something, I think it is the only way that this interview is actually damaging to the Warriors. I don't, I mean, I don't think it is, to be honest. And I don't think Draymond is going to get any blowback from the team, nor do I think he should. I mean, frankly, because this is stuff I thought we all knew before. And I yeah, that's, sure that's, you that's always been. Bob. I feel fairly confident Bob and Steve were just laughing about this whole thing. Like, I, I just, I can't imagine that they, they care in any capacity over this sort of thing. So um, that's why I think it's funny that, that, that there was a level of overreaction. Like, how dare Draymond say that? It's like, you don't think Draymond talks to Steve all the time? You don't think there's, like a level of uh, communication there where it's like expected Draymond's going to say some stuff that maybe, you know, the mainstream might not like think is normal, but Steve's like, whatever it's Draymond. Right. I mean, like two weeks ago or whatever it was three weeks ago, Dre was theoretically or reportedly texting Bob, like take Kaminga and, and take Moses Moody. So like, I think for everyone outside of uh, everyone in the inner circle that was actually involved in this, I think they've all moved on. It's just like NBA Twitter thirst sure. for all of this stuff that kind of keeps. Them- yeah. And I mean, the other part of it is like you mentioned it, like part of the reason the power dynamic is what it is, is Steve Kerr is the second highest paid coach in the league and Draymond still makes double him. You know, Steph makes like four to five times him. Like the power dynamic is just, it's very hard for you to hold authority over someone when you know they their salary is like four times you, right? Um, and with that said, like these guys are all we all know this they're they're brands, right? So like they're all doing their own media ventures, and like I would implore people who if you don't like it, if it if it's not your thing, just don't watch it because like Draymond Draymond has a deal with Turner where he's producing content, and that means he also goes on Inside the NBA, but like. This this is his new show, right? He's going to do this. Chips. Then, yeah, that he's going to probably have someone else on, and there's probably going to be some sort of controversial statement there. That's just part of his gig. I think if you've taken anything from, like, I guess you could say LeBron started the whole player empowerment movement, we are now over a decade into it. I think it's fairly clear to say just because, like, LeBron does his media stuff, it hasn't actually – it doesn't actually affect players like ability to do their job at their best ability, you know, like just because LeBron does the shop and stuff doesn't mean he's not getting his work in and doing everything he can to win. Like, I think that's the hardest part for a certain segment of fans to, uh, to understand, like just because Draymond does this sort of stuff doesn't mean he's not locked in when he needs to be as basketball. Yeah. I think the other, all of that is true. You're, you're right about all of that. I think the other part of it, um, is for a while, for a long time, uh, the media at large was the way, like the conduit between the players and the right. fans. Yeah. And, and like the media, if like guys on Dre's level or Katie's level or Steph or LeBron or whoever, if they choose to, don't need the media to tell their story anymore. They don't have to have, you know, this great buddy buddy relationship with the media so they get positive coverage unless they choose to. There's still a role for that, but a lot of these guys are able to tell their own story and create their own narratives now. So I think that has been obviously an adjustment for the fans too. But like, who wouldn't, I don't know why anybody would not like what, you know, what what that was, the content that was created. I thought it was fascinating. Even like the 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 stuff about the blow up at the Clippers game, like we've been through all of that, but seeing the two of them talk basketball and interacting, um, I thought it was kind of fascinating. I don't know why anybody would not like or have a problem. Yeah, I mean, as a sucker for basketball, my favorite Draymond's when he decides to like get into a legitimate hoops conversation because, like you said, it's not just that he's smart; it's that he uh, he can communicate it to the broader public in a way that few people can. You and I both know people who are like as bright as it comes at basketball, but like. They just don't have the ability to communicate it outwardly 
to other people. And like, that wasn't what this is, but that's my favorite. Draymond. You going to start listing people off. I thought you had some names, right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I would, I, just to be clear, I think very few people can communicate on the level Draymond can with that sort of stuff. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's bring some callers let's up here. It. I want to hear your takes on it. I'm also willing, let's take any question you have about the Warriors, about Draymond Green. If you want to get into Draymond's role in the team, that's cool too. We'll, we'll take whatever. Maxwell, what's going on, my man? Hey, guys. Um, I have a question about Draymond. Um, I was wondering if you guys want to root for Draymond as a player anymore because – you know, between the constant insecurity tweets and then this whole thing about him spinning, him spinning, him calling his teammate a bitch and then putting that on the front office, it just seems over the past maybe year, two years, he's just become really unlikable. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if there's any correlation with that and him signing with Clutch, maybe, maybe not. Uh, and I was just curious if you guys like him anymore. That is a great question, Maxwell. Okay, so first off, I want to answer the Clutch thing. I think Clutch has empowered him to just speak his mind more publicly in a way that maybe he didn't five, six years ago. Like, he's willing to break the fourth wall more often. And for better or worse, now he's going to do it. And, like, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. For me, I just – I guess it's been normalized to a point where I just don't care, you know? Like – I'm just going to roll my eyes a little if I don't like what it says, but it's just like all these guys are human. They all feel certain ways, whatever. Now, in terms of rooting for Draymond, I'd be lying if I said it's not frustrating at times. But with Draymond, it's like, all right, most of last season, we were lamenting his offense for very valid reasons. Like, I mean, he was doing just kind of a power forward Rondo impression for like majority of the season. And it was just infuriating to watch him at times. But then when you get to big games, like it's very hard to not appreciate just how intelligent a defender he is and the way he can essentially turn the Warriors into a top five defense. I know Wiggins is a good wing defender. I know Bazemore can do some things, but like be real. They have no business being a top five defense. There is maybe three players in the NBA you could replace Draymond with, and they would take that team to a top five defense. And those players are max players, and they are much better offensively than Draymond. But even though they lost both playing games, the Laker game will stick out in my mind in terms of like, all right, he's not a perfect player. He forces you to make a ton of concessions on offense. He forces you to build a team a very specific way on offense. And the Warriors did not have that specific team, but he's so special at what he does. Like it's not a situation where you're just dumping that for the sake of dumping it. I don't understand Warriors fans not rooting for Draymond. I don't like that. That just is, that's a foreign. I I think it's a small, I think it's a smaller segment than we think. If everybody is engaged and, you know, playing at their peak, he is one of the two or three best defensive players on planet Earth. He is a no-doubt Hall of Famer. 
Uh, he's he might be in the top seventy five that they do this year. I mean, Dray, Draymond is an all time great. Um, he just isn't a great scorer. He isn't. Yeah, he, he and he can be left alone, and sometimes you have to scheme for that. But even look at at, at his numbers with Steph. Steph plays better. Like Steph is the greatest offensive player ever, but Draymond is a useful cog to Steph. I just I don't understand it. I don't like he called KD a bitch. Yeah, okay. If KD and Dre would have been, it would have been, it, it like, been yeah. It would have been better if he didn't. To be sure, fast. but yes. sure. I don't. Maybe maybe he gets blamed. Maybe he is he is like an easy target as the villain sure. that drove KD out of town. But I think most people believe that KD was probably like on his way out before that. I mean, you can blame you can blame Draymond if you want. You can blame Andy, you can blame Ethan, you can blame Steve Kerr or whatever. I happen to think Katie was just going to leave anyway. So I don't really get – I understand the frustration because of his limitations on offense. The Warriors' offense is also significantly better when Draymond plays. So I don't – Yeah. I mean, you can't have a ball movement offense without high IQ players who can pass. And he is one of the two highest IQ players on the team, period. So – and he is literally I mean, one we of the saw them try- offensive players in the history of planet Earth. I feel like you have to think of Draymond in the context of Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman, to be honest. Where you're he's like, a better defensive no player, one's saying he's a better defensive player than both of them. Mm, they, he can do Rodman. He can do ninety. He can do ninety percent of what they can could do. They can't I do would, what yeah. he can do. I would. I think Rodman can do what he can do. Rodman, but, Rodman, Rodman's closer. I yes, Rodman. Yes, I mean they, they're both one through five defenders in in like a legitimate sense. Rodman could literally get into big men in a way that like guys his size shouldn't be able to. But it, the point stands: both those players are imperfect pieces who force some sort of concession uh, in terms of like the way you build your offense. But they're worth it at least as long as they're in their physical peak and able to play it. And that's kind of how I look at Draymond. It's like, I just, I just don't know how you, you replace him and think you're closer to a title. Like, I think it's legitimately easier to work within his limitations and put a contender on the floor than getting rid of him. And that's, that's almost as much on like how difficult it is to like get under the cap and get the guys you need to make it work. Sure. And there's also like, all of the spacing concerns and all Draymond can do is, you know, screen and pass and play traffic cop up at the top and shout out yeah. Warriors World. I think it was the first person I heard to shoot with his backpack on when he's willing to. I think that looks, you're not going to like this, Sam, but it, I think that looks a lot different theoretically if, if, uh, if Clay is back, right? And if Clay is still that no, right, offensively, the, the space, like Draymond's going to look a lot different with another, with a little bit more space. And when you sag off of Draymond, I mean, dude, they were they were playing Bazemore instead of Clay or Damian Lee, but Damian Lee is still not going to get the attention Clay gets. And then, more importantly, I would argue his front court partner was either Looney or Juan Toscano Anderson. Both players I really like for what they are, but neither of them are offensive threats. Like. This Warriors team is a contender when Draymond is the worst offensive player on the floor. And he was probably the third best offensive player on the floor, which lets you know everything you need to know. Like, Steph is better. Wiggins is a better scoring threat and probably a better offensive player than Draymond. But, like, Looney and Juan are not. Bazemore's not. Um, Ubre definitely wasn't. <laughs> so, you, it, it's... That's where the whole, like, you know, it's it's four on five. I'm like, well, if it's four on five, it's three on five with Looney or three on five with Juan, right? Like, they're not exactly – they didn't exactly play a lot of offensive threats next year and that may, or last year, and that makes Draymond look a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, obvious you're going to back up and then who is, who is Dre going to pass to? If he has more threats of guys that he can pass to and utilize, uh, you know, kind of eat up – try to eat up that space when people sag off of him, or set screens because his defender isn't there and it can open up more options other than just Steph with people that can do something with the ball. I think it looks different. Yeah. It's like, that's why I'm kind of, uh, 
I mean, we'll see how healthy Otto Porter is, but if Otto Porter's healthy, that's objectively an upgrade to their small ball lineups because Otto is a knockdown shooter and a shooter who will command defenders and can play kind of that small ball power forward next to Draymond. So like those are the sort of things that that make a difference in terms of making more playable on offense. Yeah, I mean, I think the four on five conversation is like 10% fair, but we have to include, even if it's going to be 10% fair, you have to include the context, right? You have to include all of the lineup data and not if it's like... If it's four on five, then you have to say Looney's a non-threat and it's three on five, right? Like if we're calling Draymond a non-threat, what is Looney? Right. Like, like just, just be honest about it. It's not like Looney is an offensive threat. Like Looney will occasionally finish a couple baskets inside. I mean, and that's fine. He does a lot. He does a lot of other good things, but like, I mean, he's, it's not like he's Clint Capella just finishing lobs over the top all the time. You know, (laughs) you don't, you don't like the athleticism left in those theoretically like 26 year old hips. Hey, nothing gets me as excited as a as a loony, um, like just a little little shake and spin move. It, I mean, it's it's like more or less at your or my speed, but you know, it's 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 fun to watch. <laughs> am I am I allowed to uh, upset the goons? Yeah, what's up? Who's who? Who do you think is older, loony or Camille? Stop! All right, we're, we're not we're not entertaining that stuff. All right, Ryan, what's up, man? Nothing much. I have a Draymond take on the interview. A, it's nothing we haven't heard before. Pretty much Steve Kerr has come out 70 different times and said, I could feel the energy is different around the team in his own kumbaya way. Draymond's spoken on it. KD's spoken on it. It was just an interview in August for clicks. So I guess I got the clicks. And also, there are people who are more offended by Draymond calling KD a bitch than KD is offended by Draymond calling him a bitch, which I find really fascinating. And then also, for the people who are on the trade Draymond bandwagon, there's like two players in the NBA who could do what he does. And that four-on-five stuff definitely looks a lot different if there's other players around the court. You can't double Steph when there's Clay in the corner and Draymond's playing four-on-three. When there's Clay in the corner, there's um, Otto in the other corner. It just looks a lot different. But yeah. Right, I appreciate it. I think that's kind of what we're getting at, which is like, in general, the Warriors last year just didn't have enough offensive threats. And making Draymond the focal point of that, like, yes, he is one of those players who's a non-offensive threat, but he does a lot of other... Like, if you're going to say the problem is not enough offensive threats, start with guys who are non-offensive threats and also don't change the game on defense. Well, I think the other the other part of it is, I don't know that it's fair to say that, like, Draymond's not a good offensive player. He's not a good shooter and he's not a good scorer. And he is right. like, and he is bordered on like unwilling slash completely unwilling to even attempt. But I, I think so. Like, I think, th- I think we need to make, we need to make a distinction between bad offensive player and not a scorer. Draymond is not a scorer, but if he I- does a lot of even positive things on offense, as I mentioned earlier, that helps. Look, again, Steph is the greatest offensive or the best offensive player ever. But, he, there are things that Dre does that help amplify what Steph does. So I don't, Dre is not a negative on offense, in my opinion. He's a spacing problem that you need to make concessions for, and he's not going to score right. anymore. But I don't think that Dre is a negative. No, I'd agree with you. He's still, um, he's still incredibly high IQ and a good passer, and he'll get guys the ball where they need it. I look at almost, okay, so I'm watching a replay of the A's game. So this is going to be a crude baseball analogy, but it's like, Okay, Elvis Andres is a hell of a defensive shortstop. It's like being mad at him for being a terrible cleanup hitter when your real issue should be why is he hitting cleanup? You want to go with you want to go with the like, oh, Draymond can't can't care, you know, he's not he's not he's not the scoring threat you need him to be. Okay, that's fair. But he didn't get paid to be a 20 point per game scorer. He didn't get paid to score 10 points per game. He got paid for his defense and his passing, and he's still exceptional at both of those things. The issue is with Clay going down and then probably some misses in free agency, let's be real, last season. They just didn't have yeah, I mean, they didn't they just didn't have enough offensive threats on the floor, period. Draymond wouldn't have saved like 
what you would need Draymond to have turned into is like Giannis or AD for it to work. You know, like who, I mean, who started who started in the playing games? I mean, like yeah, there exactly. You go. So that that's kind of the point. It's like it's I'd be much more uh, interested in the you know it's time to move on from Jamron conversation if people were making the point that like the defense was slipping and they think he's about to fall off a cliff on that end and you know, move him before that gets bad because if that gets bad, then, you know, he really can't play. Um, That's like a very coherent argument for why you need to move on from him. But this argument that like he can't score, he hasn't been able to score for four years. Like what, what, what new, what new information did you get this season? Other than like he was playing next to a bunch of G league and vet minimum guys. I I think we, we found out that like there was the question last year in the, you know, the, uh, whatever the 15 win warriors team that he kind of sat out a bunch and there was nothing that ever mattered i thought there was a a a fair question to ask like did he still have it i think what we learned this year is that when draymond decides to dial it up at least defensively it is still there that gear is still there that you know as he said the other day i i i reestablished or i learned or i proved that i can fuck another team's offense up and he can That is still there. I think that's the only thing that we, that's any new information. I mean, and that's not new information. I think that's the only thing that we learned is that, okay, we can confirm that Dre can still do that when it's required. Yeah, exactly. He can still anchor an elite defense and his offense is still a little bit of a problem. And you need to, you need to figure out around him. Hold on, his that. shooting and his scoring are still a bit of a problem. Yes. I don't know that his offense in and of itself is a problem. Well, I, I hear what you're saying because he's he's smart enough that, like, you know, he's going to find guys. But, like, we did see versus better teams that they make him a score. That's a problem. That just is a problem. Now, granted, you can put more scores around him and limit that to a degree. But, like, that's always going to be a little bit of an issue. So I think it's like, I, I've, and I see people talking about it in the chat, right? That like the Ben Simmons thing. And right. I think that, that is a fair like comparison or you call them like uh, point forward Rondo. But that looks specifically bad, like when the spacing with Embiid, or it looks specifically bad for Dre with the lack of spacing, uh, you know, with Looney. But if the, uh, if the right complementary pieces are around, you can take advantage of the things that Ben Simmons or Draymond can do offensively. The Warriors simply just because of roster mismanagement, mismanagement because of injuries, because of salary cap, et cetera, they were, have been unable the last two years to field a team that would take advantage of what Draymond can do. But if Draymond is the one guy that has those limitations, then you can highlight and take advantage of all the things he does well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's keep moving. JJ, what's up, man? Hey, uh, so I was, when I first saw the interview, I was really upset, um, mostly at Draymond, but I kind of looked back at it and I started to understand what it was really about. And, you know, obviously, you know, Bob and Steve, like, knew knew, uh, the script. (laughs) So, right. They weren't really gonna be that upset about it, but I, I just found it a little annoying, considering it just came out he was trying to act, you know, really cool in front of Katie or whatever. But yeah, I, I don't think we should trade Draymond. He is literally the engine for our offense and defense. Like Steph is obviously our number one scorer, and you know how we are even competitive in these games. But, I mean, someone's got to get him the ball, and that's Draymond. So, yeah, I don't think we should trade him. I think that all this, I mean, we won't even be talking about it a week from now. So, yeah. JJ, appreciate the call. I agree with you. You know, people want to overreact in the moment, but, like, I feel like it is a little much ado about nothing. And it's just, also, it's just 2021. Like, guys of a certain stature are going to want to do media and entertainment stuff and uh, this sort of stuff sells. And it's fun. It's, it's kind of what fans want. Like we can all say like, Oh man, I rolled my eyes. We all watched it. 
you know, like, like, like be honest with yourself. You, you watched it. You wouldn't have, would you have watched? Why are like, people Dre? upset at Dre though? I don't understand it. Like why? KD and, I KD and Dre both like a rem- over it. The front office, it, that's not anything new. They know what's up. I don't understand. Like, I think it's a romanization of sports. I think it's just kind of like we, we, we think of it in old school classical terms. And when you break that fourth wall, it, it makes people uncomfortable to a certain degree. And I'm, I'm not even going to lie. Like there's times where I'm just like, God, this is all like obnoxious and that sort of stuff. But over time, you're like, you, you, you start realizing like, you know what? I don't need to, I don't need to partake in it if I don't like it, you know? All right. Next caller. Junior, what's up, man? Oh, there. <laughs> I barely made it. My fault. I didn't realize I was on mute. Um, no really worries. quickly though, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of over the <laughs> the Draymond thing. I know that it's like one of the hot topics going on in sports media right now. But I did have sure. a question relating to the 15th spot. Do you think that Gary Payton ends up getting that spot? Um, that's question one. And what do you think about McLaughlin on a two way in terms of his performance with the summer league squad? Ooh, I like that question. Junior, appreciate it. Glad you could make it through before I was about to take you off. <laughs> um, Aaron, give me your thoughts on GP2, because I think, well, one, they pushed back his guarantee date, so he's going to get a shot at camp to fight for that last roster spot. And really, they have two roster spots, because right now, if I remember correctly, both he and Mulder are holding non-guarantees for 14 and 15. If I had to guess... I think they're only carrying one of them and they'll probably find someone else for the other spot. But let's get to the question there. What do you, what do you think of GP2? So my supposition is, yeah, I think, I think it's him and Mulder for the 14th spot. I think the 15th spot is going to be left open um, for the buyouts, frankly, to save some luxury tax money, but then also, um, you know, for flexibility later, you can do an uneven trade or for buyout guys, et cetera. Um, I think I said in our pod in Vegas that I think it just plainly should be GP2. I don't know what, especially on a team that is going to have theoretically more competent outside shooting. I don't know what Mulder provides. I don't, I don't like, I don't know a, a, a scenario in which Steve is going to look down his bench and say, Hey, like we need Michael Mulder right now. But I can envision a scenario in which he says, hey, we need GP2. What is that scenario? It's Devin Booker or Jalen Brown or one of those kind of wings, initiators, creators is giving us buckets. Or Steve just gets frustrated with the energy of the game. And GP2 can come in and just change that. Give you a spark plug, yeah. He can come in for four or five minutes and just make an elite scorer's life hell. He can pick him up 94 feet. He's big enough to bother some of the smaller wings, you know, the two guards and some of the smaller threes of the elite scores. He can bother them. He's not a he's not a great offensive player. He's probably not even a good offensive player unless he ends up shooting 37, 38 percent, which he has never done before. But he has the size and athleticism to and defensive mentality to change a game and to make one guy's life hell is that pat bev picking up a point guard 94 feet is it just getting in the shirt of a primary scorer so i think that his that utility trumps that anything Mulder is going to do like i don't see a i do see a scenario where every third game you're going to play gp2 for whatever eight minutes i don't know where Mulder would even like theoretically fit into the rotation so I think it is one one hundred percent should be GP two, and I I like I and I like McLaughlin, McLaughlin can shoot it and can do a few other things. So I, I think I think you could do a lot worse uh, with with a two way. Yeah, I mean the only thing that sucks with that is they already gave their two way to a point guard. So I would have liked. I think they're going to want to go with a wing or a big for the other two way, and. Um, so I don't know, but I'm with you. I think McLaughlin's an NBA player at some point. Like he, he just strikes me as a guy who's going to probably play in the G League for the next year and a half, and then he's going to find his way to have like a nice, you know, little run in the NBA for a period of time. He clearly has NBA athleticism and and he can score the ball. So uh, I agree with you there. I also agree with you 
well, this is, you know, I need to disagree with you, but um, I agree with you on, on GP2 because the biggest weakness on this Warriors roster, um, in my opinion, is point of attack defense. Like, Steph, Steph, Jordan Poole, not that guy. Clay is coming off of two catastrophic leg injuries. I think the days of Clay hounding point guards is gone. Um, and quite frankly, even if he can get it back, I'm not asking him to do it right off of the Achilles tear. Uh, Moody's a rookie. And to be perfectly frank, I think he's probably going to be better guarding off ball than guarding point of attack anyway. Um, Damian Lee is not that guy. They need someone who, like you said, energy sucks. I'm going to put this guy in. He's going to hound a ball handler or small wing like, like, like a Pat Beverly would. So uh, if GP2 is that guy, like I thought they were going to sign Avery Bradley, although it's debatable uh, his health and like if he's still that guy. But like if GP2 is that guy, it helps. I'm into it. Yeah, I just, I just think, yeah, I, I think it's like a, it's a layup. Um, he has uh, the athleticism, the size, right? He's been around the team enough. Mm-hmm. He's not going to get into, I mean, he can like get into some turnover stuff and he can't shoot, but. Yeah, some of the like, some of the decision making is not great, but like in theory, you're not putting him on the floor to do that. If he's on the floor with Jordan Poole and Iguodala, I really hope he's not the one running pick and rolls. So, yeah, and I just I, there is value to somebody who is just a pest and can defensively change the identity of a quarter, or you know, just get in the jersey of somebody who's starting to get hot. Uh, I, there is value in that, and I just like. I don't know. Maybe y'all can tell me in the chat or Sam, you can tell me. I don't see a scenario in which like how, how does Michael Mulder play? Who is he playing in front of? I just like, right. That's, a, that's the other see thing. A scenario there. Damian Lee Moody both play his role. He's probably better than Moody like right now because he's eight years older, but like, they're going to give Moody a, those minutes. He's a minutes. better athlete uh, than Moody, but other than that, I don't know. And he's also sure Moody's much bigger than he is. Yeah, that's the that's the other thing. Moody can Moody might be able to defend better than him right now, even though he's giving up like eight. Oh, matches. I guarantee. I guarantee so, Moody, how about this? I don't guarantee you. I will just plainly tell you, Moody's a better defensive player than Michael Mulder. Yeah, Mulder's well, seven, Mulder seven one wing, like, seven one wingspan is not bad on defense. <laughs> yeah, but like to your point. He can shoot the ball, but like you're getting Clay back, you got Damian Lee, correct? You have Moody and Otto. Porter Those are three players in the so. exact same position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, they they did a pretty decent job of filling the roster out with shooting. So I think I like Mulder more than you, but I just don't I just don't see a role for him unless he spent the summer figuring out how to be a point of attack defender. Which I just you know if he did, great, but I, I don't see it. Yeah, is he going to be? A, is he going to grow? three inches also <laughs> yeah exactly all right last caller of the night shick what's up man oh i'm oh, sorry there uh, we go oh, look at the like. mute's off now there we go there we go yeah so i was gonna ask if you think draymond is a hooper or basketball player <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's a great question aaron i'm gonna let you go first uh Draymond is a hooper with basketball player tendencies. I, I do you like that hedge there, but I think Total. at his core, Draymond is a hooper. But he has some basketball player, some of that big, those big brain tendencies. I think he's a basketball player Ooh. who disguises himself as a hooper. I think he is one of the most cerebral players you'll ever he find, is. but he carries himself with with, with a hooper's bravado. I think I think he are you the chat goes so are you saying Draymond is a tweener? <laughs> I absolutely indeed absolutely indeed it's all, he he was a tweener he always will be a tweener. All right, we're gonna end it there. Appreciate all of you, Aaron. Appreciate you for coming Anytime, on, brother. See you guys next week.
much happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com